Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Chuck Fishman. In his 45-year career, freelance photographer Chuck Fishman has focused on social and political issues with a strong humanistic concern. His work has been extensively published, exhibited, and collected worldwide, and has earned him the prestigious World Press Photo Foundation medals four times. His photographs have appeared on the covers of Time, Life, Fortune, Newsweek, the London Sunday Times, The Economist, and numerous others, and have been selected for publication in the American Photography and Communications Arts Juried Annuals. Chuck's work is included in the collections of the Smithsonian National Portrait Gallery, the United Nations, Pauline, the Museum of History of Polish Jews, the Center for Creative Photography, University of Arizona, the Studio Museum in Harlem, and Hogan Jazz Archive, Tulane University, and that's only to name a few. He's also, his work is also included um, in private and corporate collections. Exhibitions of his work include one-man shows in the United States and Europe and influential group exhibitions globally, including the International Center of Photography and the Pinago International Photography Festival, among many others. He recently returned from Poland where he was photographing the Jewish community's response to the Ukrainian refugee crisis occurring there now. An exhibit of Chuck Fishman's work is now on exhibit at the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you very much for having me, Lisa. Delighted. And um, I know I've been eager to have you on and awaited your return from Poland, um, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, To get us started, I wonder if you could tell me a bit about how you got into photography. Uh, My senior year of high school. Uh, the last semester after I had already been accepted to college and all of my classes were done, I tried getting into the, the one photography class offered there and it was, it was booked. It was solid. I couldn't get in, but I was a student. I was an art student as well. And the art teacher wrote a little note to the photography teacher saying, which I, and I found that recently. Uh, so that, that's why I can almost quote it saying if she said, if you have even a half an inch of space, you know, please, please include Chuck. He can make himself very thin. He's a wonderful art student. I was accepted to the class. I liked the teacher. I liked photography. Um, by the time I gra- when I graduated a few months later with the graduation money and my parents' help, I bought my first real camera and um, went away to school, um, starting to take pictures. And I will um, say that I've known your work throughout my career, um, both on the publishing side of things with magazines, and then was reintroduced to your work and had the chance to work with you or speak with you um, here at the Yiddish Book Center. So I've known you as a photojournalist, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about sort of what that means to be a photojournalist and some of what your early work involved. Um, You know, you really do set out to tell stories through photography, but there is a marriage between the editorial side of it as well. Yes. Um, words, you know, words can be all kinds of words can be used to to describe uh, pictures. Uh, one could say it's a combination of documentary, photojournalism, um, French word would be more reportage, um, or could be considered humanistic, could be considered artistic. Um, again, it's it's a it's all a mix magazine photojournalism. It's a complete mix. Uh, but primarily, 
one does as a, a, a quote unquote magazine photojournalist or former magazine photojournalist because what's a magazine these days? Um, uh, you, you, you always photograph you know, what you can, what you feel, what you see, what you know, you photograph from your experience. Uh, you, you never, uh, there's no, when people say you have a good eye, well, that's, that's just one, one, <laughs> that means very little because what you're photographing from is your mind, your heart, and it comes through your eye. And, and, uh, and I've said this before, and I'm not the only one who said it, there's, it's up to you to determine what you're including in your frame and what you're excluding out of keeping out of your frame. And you, that's all very subjective. The, the objectivity is, is a bit of a, of a, of a misnomer. Uh, you, you bring to your pictures what you, sometimes what you wish to bring or what you wish to show. Uh, and, um, uh, and that's how I've really um, done, done my work. And in terms of that, as you say, you know that you are you are bringing yourself to to the to, to the photograph and and to how you frame it and what you're seeing. Much of your work focuses on Poland. So, what drew you to that area and the related bodies of work? Maybe you know also touch a little bit on what's here on exhibit at the center. Uh, initially, and uh, what first drew me to Poland was I was a um, uh, photography student uh, and needed to do a senior thesis in photography, and I was going to do a, I was going to do something on a Jewish theme. To make a very long story quite short, it was narrowed down to going to Poland from Southern Illinois. So I was going to Poland from Southern Illinois uh, and photo and went with a writer. Uh, completely on speculation. He was going to write, I was going to photograph, and we were going to specul speculatively try and do a book on whatever we can find on remaining Jewish life and culture in Poland. Uh, either way, I was, it was going to be my senior thesis. Uh, so two years later, the book was published, Polish Jews, the final chapter. And I had no idea I was ever going back to Poland. That was a one-shot one deal as far as I was concerned. But three and a half years later, as a working magazine photojournalist, uh, my agency, uh, well, the Pope, Pope John Paul II had just been named uh, and he was the first Polish, the first non-Italian Polish Pope in over 400 years from Poland, no less. And I had an assignment to photograph the Nobel prizes in Stockholm. Uh, from Time Magazine, so that round trip ticket was paid for, and it made perfect sense to say, hey, Chuck is going to be right next door. Why doesn't he go to Poland and photograph the country? Because now we in the West want to see what the country's about, because now, now the world is going to focus on Poland because the new Pope is Polish. So I went, and uh, a completely official, this is communist Poland, very official, uh, never said anything about my work on, on, on my former work on, on Jewish life. Uh, and surreptitiously and on with, you know, without any government um, approval or, or, or minders, uh, I went and sought out the Jewish community that I knew where I knew that they existed. And some people remembered me. Uh, I brought back little prints that I had made. So, uh, and I reestablished uh, a connection 
with the Jewish community. Uh, as it turned out, uh, for the next five years, again, unbeknownst to me, for the next five years, I was going not back and forth, but I made several trips to Poland to photograph, again, the Pope's first trip to Poland in June of 1979, which was a major event. Uh, and then I photographed the Pope around the world in several different countries in the next few years. But then solidarity, the rise of Solidarność, the, the, the labor union with Lech Wałęsa. I was there photographing that. And again, uh, I was there again uh, for the second Pope trip in 83, but all during these times, quietly and without any, um, any fanfare, I went, I sought out the, the Jewish community and continued my photography. But those pictures from 78 to 83, I archived. I never showed to anyone. Because when I went back in 78, one of the first things I, has, I saw were kids, young Jewish boys learning Hebrew in a little room next to the kosher kitchen in Warsaw. And that freaked me out a little bit because I didn't remember seeing any kids. I was photographing survivors in 75. Uh, and um, so that was a bit of a, of, a, of a shock. And then a few months later, I photographed uh, Passover Seder in Warsaw. And there were other kids and young adults who were in the Yiddish theater who were either my age or a little older, some younger, uh, not all completely Jewish, but there were people who were. And, and that, that's when I made a very clear decision that all of my work now, whatever I do now in regarding Polish Jews, that's for me, that's for history. This is the end of the end. Everyone's saying this is the end of the end. It's the, it's the complete final chapter of a thousand year history. Uh, and, and I'm here and I can shoot it and what the hell, why not? So, uh, I'm not, but I'm going to archive it for the future and maybe, you know, and again, I had no idea if I was coming back, when I might be going back. And, uh, so from 78 to 83, up until about 10 years ago, that work was archived with me. No one saw it. Um, I went back in 2013, 30 years after my last trip. Uh, to photograph what is considered the renewal or regeneration or, or renaissance of uh, Jewish life in Poland. And I was blown away. I was, I was in shock um, by what I saw and photographed. And I've been there several times uh, since 2013, photographing the Jewish, the Jewish community. And most recently, the, uh, the Jewish community's response to the Ukrainian refugee crisis uh, and how they are assisting and doing real true to Kunalam. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's proud. You, you have to have pride um, knowing that, uh, well, to be a little chauvinistic, <clears throat> you have to have pride to know that your people are doing something good and, uh, and, 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 um, uh, and, and the right thing to do, you know, so, uh, so that was my most recent trip, um, uh, which of course has nothing to do with the exhibit that's currently uh, that's currently at the um, at the at the book center, and that because that work is from 1975 through 2016. But it's so interesting that you found your way, and I, I was taken when you said the name of the book, the, you know, the final chapter. I think you would agree. It's anything but the final chapter. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, my, my visit to Poland a couple of years ago, um, my first visit there, you know, I was told there was a lot of scholarship going on, and you know, non-Jews alike are really working hard to rediscover and unearth and you know rethink Jewish history as it relates to Poland. And 
yeah, it's so ongoing. Um, and this, the humanitarian relief is just incredible with the refugees. Yes. You know, um, so I'm struck by, you know, both the work that you have here, and it's interesting to hear the background of how it came about and how you did this surreptitiously, um, uh, sort of like Henry Ross in a way, um, who, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, but I, my, my situation I, was not as bad as him. No, no. But, but again, <laughs> you know, there was a challenge to it and it's interesting to see how you find your way to the images in terms of not intruding on the subject catching them both, um, you know, and, and a lot of the work that you have here gives us a view into both the traditional aspects of Judaism that are ongoing in Poland, as well as the everyday um, and how this carries on. And how, how hard was it to be an observer um, without intruding on the frame as it were? Uh, well, sometimes you intrude. So, that some that sometimes you, you simply your simple presence is an intrusion uh, and has an effect. You know, uh, it depends on on who's involved in in the in the situation. Um, but I prefer to to be non-intrusive, unless of course it's a direct portrait where you're literally sitting with somebody four feet away. They're looking in the camera. And you're speaking with them, and or you're possibly even gently directing them, gently or not, or just letting them talk to you and photographing them while they talk to you, looking for the right moment where you think that's a telling image. Um, but uh, to be like the fly on the wall, you know, to be the invisible fly on the wall, that's the ideal. That's the ideal. It's like, just let me blend in. I don't want to ask you anything. I don't want to tell you anything. Just let me in. That's all. <laughs> because without access, basically, with, as a photographer, without access, you have bupkis. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you need the access. So in essence, it's just let me in, please. I won't interrupt anything. I'll try not to trip over anything. I won't touch anybody. Just let me in, please. And, and um, I mean, that's the, that's the ideal. And you just returned from Poland. Um, and correct me if I'm mistaken here, but you were, you know, scheduled to go and photograph the 75th um, anniversary of the ghetto uprising. That was, seven, that was years ago. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay um but you um you were you weren't going because of the refugees um well actually no that let me correct you then okay um i wasn't um as we have uh, as you know i hadn't left my house in over two years because of covid and um not that i had it but i certainly didn't want to get it and and I'm, my wife and I are very lucky that we could isolate and, and, and stay in our home. Uh, and I could work on my archives here every day, which was a, a blessing. Um, but a good friend of mine, who's the executive director of JCC Krakow, uh, Jonathan Ornstein, uh, sent me a Facebook message after he saw that I posted a picture of Deborah Lipstadt on Facebook, after she was finally, finally, finally confirmed for uh, for uh, to be the anti-Semitism ambassador, 
Um, so I posted a portrait of her that I did three years ago in Krakow during the Jewish uh, uh, Cultural Festival, which is, by the way, the largest in the world. Um, so yes, there are Jews in Poland. Uh, so I posted that picture. And within 24 hours, Jonathan sent me a message saying, shouldn't you be here now? <laughs> you know, doing portraits. Shouldn't you be here now doing portraits and, and what you do on, on, on refugees? And I messaged them back and said, only as it relates to my work, my ongoing work on Jewish life in Poland. And, um, and he, he, he wrote back, you missed my point. This is survivors saving survivors. There is, you know, this is ongoing. Um, we've turned this place into a front, you know, a fortress basically. And, um, and there's a lot going on here. Um, so we, we then had a conversation and um, the fourth boost, the fourth vaccination had just been approved. Um, I got it. <laughs> and a week and a half later, um, two week, within two weeks, I was in Krakow uh, to, um, but also I, 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 as I told Jonathan, you, but you must remember I'm shooting this on film. I'm, my work on this is on film and this is not immediate. This takes time, this takes months, you know, uh, and it, it's, it's different. Uh, he said, it's okay. If we can use the pictures, if we have access at some point to use your, your work, great. But I also brought a little digital camera with me, just a, a small one, and also shot digitally. And those pictures I was able to post on Facebook, process on my laptop in the evening, post a picture the next day from something I'd shot that day. So I was, I was juggling with cameras, both film cameras, as well as a little digital camera. And um, uh, uh, so, so I went really to photograph the Jewish community's response to the refugee crisis. So, it, so, so to keep it relating, to keep it related to my, to my ongoing work, but also to show what's really happening there and people are in, in need and, um, and other people are stepping up to the plate. I mean, yeah, you can attach the words that you have for the title of the exhibit that's here, you know, resistance and resilience. Um, it must have been quite moving, I would think, to be there. Um, I mean, it's just, it's such an incredible story and one that obviously, you know, is history repeating and repeating and repeating. Were there any, you know, one particular moments or did you reconnect with people within the Jewish community that you had photographed on prior trips? Oh, well, I usually see people that I had seen before. Um, and there were, there were several, uh, there were several um, encounters that, you know, I found, I found memorable. Um, but since there's no photograph to show at the exhibit, I don't know if I should even tell, tell you about them because no one's gonna see them. Well, go ahead. I think it's 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 interesting to hear about them, and you know, who knows? Maybe we'll figure out a way to show them at some point. Uh, one woman uh, whose name is Nastia. Her nickname, her her name, she goes by the name of Nastia. Um, she uh, currently now she currently works at JCC Krakow. Uh, she's a Ukrainian refugee. Took her seven weeks to get out of the country with her daughter. Um, they but not they left their city and went to another one. But when, as she said, when the air raid sirens started in that other city, she, her, her husband, who of course remained in, um, 
in Ukraine. Oh, it should be stated. I took it as obvious, but I realize it's not. The overwhelming majority of people of the refugees are women and children. Uh, and and I, I was surprised that some people didn't know that because the men either are in the army or they're staying behind to to work to help the war effort, even if they're even if they're not qualified medically for the army, they're in the country. Uh, the only men who who have, who get out are like under seventeen years old uh, or or old, uh, or if they have three children. Um, men with three children, wife and three children, are allowed to leave. So I met somebody like that. Uh, Nastia got out with her daughter, a five year old. Um, it took her, uh, the husband, her husband drove her to the border. Um, she, they, they connected with some kind of a driver. They spent a couple of nights in the mountains. Um, they got into another car where they eventually got to Krakow. She knew of JCC Krakow. She already knew of it. So she went straight there. And um, to get, because uh, I should mention, JCC Krakow has a, a free distribution center for Ukrainian refugees where uh, essentials are given out. Um, everything from medical supplies, hygienic supplies, uh, clothing, diapers, baby food, everything. And she went straight there. She learned that her, her, um, her, her daughter could attend, speaking with people, she learned her daughter could attend uh, the kindergarten at JCC Krakow. Uh, and she was eventually offered a job there she now rents an apartment in Krakow and she's moved there permanently. A mm. uh, couple of days after, uh, before I got there, her parents were able to come. So now her parents are with her. So I photographed her with her parents and her daughter. Uh, and, but you know, and her daughter's a sweet little girl, five years old. It wasn't until I, I listened to Nastia tell a group, a visiting group of her experience coming to Poland that her daughter during those seven weeks was having nightmares and, and was in trauma uh, and, and acting out. I had no idea about that until I heard her speak, you know, say, you know, tell of this. Uh, that's, that's just one, um, one, per, one family, one family story. Her husband is, is there, is, is in Ukraine. Uh, as she said, uh, and they couldn't stay in their in their town, in their city rather, because there is no electricity or water in their building. So they moved to another another city, where the, of course where she left when they when the sirens started, and that's where her husband works in a building. She said, she said he works upstairs during the day, and sleeps downstairs, meaning in the basement at night. Uh, and um, but she has moved. She's made a decision. She and her she's moved permanently to Krakow. Uh, and she's just, you know, she's waiting for her husband to, to be able to join her. Whether her parents actually stay in Krakow or not, that's up in the air. Uh, one thing also, the day after her parents got to Krakow, uh, I heard her mother say that, um, or actually I read it in an article, that the next day on Krakow TV news, she saw film footage uh, shot, the, shot the day before of her neighborhood, her neighborhood that had been bombed. And a couple of blocks from her building, there was a, there's a, a woman and child dead in the street. And she said, that could have been me and my granddaughter. I mean, she, so, so it, it was, it, there's a, a lot of freaky stuff going on. And, um, uh, and, and people, you know, I've heard the word safe used, you know, by refugees. They feel 
safe. Now they're in Poland, they feel safe. Uh, uh, one woman I met, a uh, woman uh, mid thirties with a 12 year old girl. Um, uh, she said, she, she told me that when she was, when they were one meter over the border, over the Polish-Ukrainian border, only then did she start to ease, to feel some safety. Um, but she also, and she also said she was incredibly lucky. She was driven straight from her home, straight to Krakow by an American volunteer. Yeah. Just some American kid, some American guy who volunteered to drive people back and forth. So she was incredibly lucky. And she was staying in a hotel that I was staying in that JCC Krakow was paying for because they had you know, arrangements with certain hotels where you know, it's a reduced price and they pay, they pay um, to put people up, to put refugees up. And, but they do it through donations, you know, international donations, Jewish organizations, individual contributions, uh, and um, it costs a lot of money. They're, they're going through tons of money um, and, but, and they're helping people in real time. They're helping people now, people who really need it. Well, I think, you know, the, the body of work that resulted from this tells incredible stories and so important to have documented um, because it's unimaginable um, to lose a homeland. It's history repeating itself once again and such deep, deep roots uh, in terms of Jewish culture in Ukraine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, um, I'd love to sort of circle back to the work that's on exhibit here, which spans two galleries. Um, and, you know, again, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm struck by um, sort of how the work really allows the viewer to understand sort of the ongoing aspects of the continuing with Jewish tradition in Poland. Mm -hmm as well as, you know, sort of the everyday in the community. Um, there's one, one image which sticks with me a lot. It's, and I hope I pronounce his name correctly. Moses Leher, Leher uh, the, the caretaker of the Jewish cemetery. The caretaker, oh, Moses Lecker. Lecker, Lecker. okay. Um, you know, he's got his back to, back to the camera. He's obviously elderly and, and sort of a little, his body is, the dwarf it bears the weight of uh, the the gravestone is pitched, but there's something so telling about his commitment to taking care as long as he is able to walk that land. So what do you hope the viewer takes away from this exhibit? Well, hopefully um, they have a lot to put into it. Hmm. Uh, because the more they have, the more knowledge they have of the subject matter, uh, and really the more um, the more the more Yiddishkeit they have uh, inside of them, the more they'll appreciate, and the more they'll take away from it. Uh, it's um, it's people living their lives. Uh, even when, even the older work, even when they thought that they were the only ones left. And, uh, and I was told basically, you know, after us, just turn off the lights because after us, there is no more Jewish life in this country. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's human. It's just, 
um, it's ongoing, it's tradition. Uh, no, we're here to stay. <laughs> here to stay. Um, a, a great way to kind of conclude this conversation. Um, for our listeners, Chuck Fishman's work is on exhibit at the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. The center is open Sunday through Friday. We hope you'll come visit, see this work. It's really astounding. And I guess people can follow you as well. Um, yes, uh, learn more online. Facebook, uh, my website uh, is uh, the older older work on Jewish life. Uh, and it's called... Um, uh, Polish Jews Life Under Communism, that work from 75 to 83, that is on my website, uh, a lot of it, um, and that's chuckfishman.com. But I'm on Facebook, uh, Chuck Fishman Photography, I'm on Instagram, um, at Chuck Fishman Photo, and, uh, and I post, uh, you know, more so on Facebook because I'm an older kind of guy. <laughs> Um, and there I am checking your posts constantly. Um, so again, uh, for listeners to learn more about how to plan your visit to the center, yiddishbookcenter.org, plan your visit. Um, we do hope you'll come drop by. And Chuck, thank you again for everything you bring to your work, um, past, present, and future, and for taking time to join me today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.